Hey there, friend. Welcome to the Bloom Living Podcast. I'm your host, Thomas DeShooter. If you're looking for some real financial assistance, some tips, some things to empower you to move forward with your finances, go to bloomyourmoney.com and download our free ebook at bloomyourmoney.com. And then stay tuned for our ending to the season where we are doing a back-to-back-to-back-to-back series on Bitcoin and crypto. So if you're looking for an entry point into understanding Bitcoin and crypto, join us here on the Bloom Living Podcast. Today's podcast is brought to you by Thomas DeShooter Business Success Coaching. Are you ready to experience your business thriving? Or maybe you're already thriving and you want a better system for managing your cash flow. The truth is, you need to be set up to win. And winning is all about the process. Being certified cash flow specialist and profit first professionals, Thomas DeShooter Business Success Coaching will put you on track to win big. Check the show notes to book your free consultation or go to thomasdeshooter.com. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the show, the Bloom Living Podcast, Season 5, Episode 15. Today I'm going to be speaking with my friend, my new friend, Joss Willard. And I'll tell you, uh, just be prepared because it's a great show. There's some really great stuff in here, especially if you're an entrepreneur, if you're interested in how to price, uh, how to build your business. Uh, there's some really great points in here. There is... There is though off the top that we get a little dark at times, and I'll just warn you of that. But it's good. It's it's all. It's sometimes really good to go down that road and explore, explore things at a deeper level. And I I will say we do beautifully pull ourselves out of that. So here we go. Joss Willard believes you should make your decisions based on your values, not your bank account balance. He also believes that the best way to do that is to have a full bank account. Yes, amen to that. Joss has more than two decades of international experience mentoring, coaching, training, and making millions of dollars for his clients' businesses. He is a certified book-yourself-solid coach, profit-first professional, and creator of the Profit for Coaches program. And his mission is to help good coaches build profitable practices so that they are rewarded for making a positive impact in the world, living from their values, and helping exactly the people they're meant to serve. Joss Willard, welcome to the Bloom Living Podcast. Thanks. It's great to be here. Really, I've been looking forward to this for like a month and a half now. This is awesome. <laughs> That's great. I was going to throw in, you've been looking forward to this for years. You just didn't know it years ago. That's <laughs> Probably true. Uh, so let's, let's just, speaking of jumping in, let's just jump in because uh, I know, you know, we've met recently. I was on your show. Thank you very much for having me on your show. Love Pro- having you on my show. Profit for coaches. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know sometimes I think it was profit as in the P-H-E-T, but it's not. It's about making, you know, being profitable as a coach. Yeah. I, I don't hold myself up quite at the, the P-H-E-T level. The, the, the profit level yet. Yeah. No. <laughs> uh, but what I'd love to discuss is, is what had me want to have you on the show is we were on a call together. You said something. It was the way you said it that just uh, speak my uh, sort of sparked my interest. And it was about the coaching industry. Mm-hmm. And so there's, you know, I see it as there's two sides to the industry. There's the side that's out to, you know, get clients, mm-hmm. right? And then there's a side that's out to coach the coaches. Mm-hmm. 
And I think you were talking more referencing in this comment about the coaches that want to coach the coaches. And it was something to the effect of the industry that preys on coaches and how they do so and what one can do about it. Because they they put these luring ads out there of, you know, sign up with me, you're going to make, you know, eight figures in five days, you know, whatever that that is that they're trying to pitch. And so let's just, you know, first of all, give give me an insight into how that lands for you maybe and then where you see people maybe get stuck in it. Gotcha. So I think for me, when you say there's, there's two sides to it, I see there's the coaches themselves. I don't consider them to be one of the two, two sides or one of the two columns, if you will. Um, when it comes to people who want to sell to coaches, because there's the coaches themselves, they're out there, they're trying to find clients and and they need to find clients because if you don't have clients, if you don't have someone to coach, you're not going to be uh, doing a lot of coaching. Um, but there's, there's two groups that want to sell to or educate coaches, as it were. Um, there's the group that wants to teach them how to coach, right? So um, get your certification in the XYZ method or, you know, become a strategic interventionist, um, you know, get your, your certification in or your shiny uh, thing that you can put, set of letters you can put after your name. And some of them are very worthwhile and very helpful and very useful and others are less so. It's, you know, I'm, look, I paid somebody $5,000 and now I can say I'm certified in the XYZ system. That means very little. Um, so that's one side and there's good and bad on that side. The other side is the side that is more bad than good, I think, um, which is, like you said, the group that, you know, constantly is marketing on Facebook and Instagram and all the other different social media um, or sending you emails or they like to send, uh, the latest thing they like to do now is, is get you to subscribe to their printed uh, newsletter. So they're actually, they're going back to to mailing you things in, in the actual mail for $200 a month. Um, but their focus is work with me. It's not even work with me anymore because that doesn't scale. It's buy my package, my DIY course, work with my, my coaches or which basically just means they're high ticket sales guys. Uh, and we will, we will give you a six, seven, eight figure practice or six, seven, eight figure business. They very rarely do they say practice. Um, and I object to this on a number of, of levels. Uh, the first is they're not teaching coaching. They're not selling coaching. They're selling a marketing company. They're what, for the most part, the ones that actually know what they're doing are selling marketing. They're saying, let us teach you how to run a marketing company that will market a high ticket package. You will hire somebody to sell it for you. Um, You'll hire somebody to put it together for you. You'll hire somebody to uh, to make it shiny. You'll hire someone to handle your 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 pay per click, all of that stuff, and you will just run this company that will bring in seven figures or or eight figures. Uh, but you'll also be spending seven or eight figures to make that happen. And it, and at no point are you actually coaching clients or creating transformation in clients lives directly anymore at that point, which is fine. There's 
it can be a good business model and that's okay if that's what you want to do. But if you're a coach, that's not why we got into the business. We didn't get into the business so that we could, you know, make eight figures, spend, you know, all but half a million of that uh, and never actually work with clients. So that bothers me. Um, the other aspect of it that, that I object to is the fact that the vast majority of them don't actually know what they're doing. Um, and they're just selling to coaches because the average coach, depending on which set of stats you look at and whether you include that 1% that makes millions or not, the average coach struggles to make thirty dollars to $50,000 a year. Hmm. And we are fundamentally optimists. And so we, we believe as coaches that we are one tool away, or if I can just get the right system in place, um, then I'm going to reach my, the people that I'm supposed to serve that target client. And, um, and I'm, I'm going to be able to make that difference in the world. Uh, I'm going to be able to, uh, to create transformation and make some money doing it. Right. right. So it's, it's really like, easy to sell to us. It's, it's almost like, uh, you know, what I hear there is, you know, I'm okay if somebody just came out and said, Hey, you're a coach. I'm going to teach you how to market your business. Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's not so wrong to me or doesn't have that, uh, that insipid kind of like, I'm going to trick you. Like, you know, the, mm-hmm. the, uh, here's what I'm, here's what I'm, here's the offer, but here's what I'm really doing. Yeah. Uh, you know, saying, Hey, I'm going to teach you how to coach people, but all I'm really doing is selling you a marketing program. That's actually not going to create transformation in other people's lives. So if they were just up straight, you know, up, the up right at, if they were upfront right at the beginning of here's a marketing system that if you're a coach and you specialize in XYZ, this is the marketing system for you mm-hmm. that you can gauge and go, you know, do I want to make this investment? Do I not want to make this investment? And so I think maybe what you, what you're talking about a little bit more or the, the part that gets you is the ones that are, that are being underhanded and there is no actual coaching going on yet they're trying to sell coaching. Yeah. Is that that right? I I think so. Some of them are being underhanded about it. They absolutely know. They don't believe that it is possible to have a good income, a good solid mid-six-figure coaching practice where the majority of your time is spent working with clients and have the the spare time outside of your practice to invest in your family and your life and to enjoy life. They don't believe that's possible. So that's where it's kind of underhanded is they're, they're selling it to a certain extent. But one of the first things they'll say is you've got to be scalable. What you're doing doesn't scale. And so they turn it into, you need to create a package. You need to make a bunch of videos and have people, watch them and you need to sell that package of videos for five, 10, 20 grand. Um, so yeah, sorry, I went a little, this is, a, it's very easy for me to go down rabbit holes on this one because it's, it's a subject that I'm passionate about. But it, like you say, yes. If someone says, I'm going to coach you to create a seven or eight figure coaching business. But what they're really, as soon as you're in, as soon as they have your money, they're like, we're not going to do that because that's not actually the thing that can get you to seven or eight figures. Instead, we're going to do this thing instead. That bothers me. Yeah. Where it's a, where it's a little bit underhanded. And, and I think, uh, 
you know, where this falls in camp for me. So I love that you're passionate about it because, you know, you, that's your line of work. I mean, you've been coaching for 20 plus years. So this yeah. is what, this is what you do. It's, it's, it's what you love to do. And I've, and I've seen you in action on some of the uh, profit first group calls I've been on and, and I, and I can, I get that from you. What I think, you know, where I think people get attracted to this is it, it kind of feels like to me, we're in a world where people just don't want to do the work. Like if I could, you know, yeah. what everybody wants to do is build a system where they actually don't have to do anything except, you know, travel around the world, fire up the laptop on the beach and, you know, do a couple of little check-ins or a little, you know, a couple emails and send that out to all of your people. And then mm-hmm. you're just back to living the life of luxury. Yeah. That's the sense I, I get. And isn't that what they're really preying on is that this desire for a lot of people you know, and I fall into this once in a while too. I'm like, man, I've got to be a way I can just, you know, make a living where I'm don't even know that I'm working. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's. I think you're absolutely right. I think that's part of what what's being preyed on. It was, I was having, actually, it was earlier this morning. I was having this thought about who promised you that, and and not necessarily about the coaching business or any business, the life, the, the lifestyle businesses. Um, and I don't have a problem with lifestyle businesses. I think that they can, they can do great things. Um, but I think you need to be realistic about what they are and what kind of lifestyle it's going to be. But I was, I was talking to a friend of mine, Toby Goodman. He actually, his company produces my podcast. Um, and we were talking about how pricing has changed, right? Like when, when, when I was a kid watching TV, the, the used car or even the new car dealership commercials would come on and they're like, this car just twenty nine ninety five or you know, or twenty four nine ninety nine. Like um, whatever it was, they'd give you the price of the car. And now they don't. Now it's have a brand new and it's always the year ahead because for some reason that's how cars work. So so here at the end of twenty twenty, you can buy a twenty twenty one um Ford Mustang or whatever for just fifty two dollars bi weekly. Right. You'll never know what the price of the car is. It's all about the, I have the payment, right? And and we've built this thing where we've we've been sold. And I think it's probably, it might've started before we were kids. I think you and I are pretty close to the same age. I think it started before we were kids, but it got really hardcore for, for us Gen Xers. This thing that you shouldn't have to wait. You, you deserve all of the great things and, and pay for it later. Um, and that really means earn it later. And there's this society that we're in now that has been created by this that says, I deserve to be able to leave my parents' house and step into a house just as good, if not better, with all of the toys. Mm-hmm. Um, I deserve to have a four-year degree from a, from a university. I deserve to have all this stuff and be stepping into a life that my parents or that our parents didn't step into until they were in their forties and fifties. I deserve to step into that life in my twenties or maybe early thirties. And, and should be able to, once I realize that I can't pay for it, just declare bankruptcy. So just be absolved of all of the debt because it's not fair that I was put into the debt for these things in the first place because I deserve these things. And right. I don't think that that's, that it's bad humans thinking that this isn't a, I'm not 
beating up on the people who have the mindset. For me, it comes down to who told you that and why did you let them? Because it didn't do you any favors. Well, I have a theory. I'd love to hear it. So I believe, you know, what comes up for me when you say that, if you look at the decoupling of uh, the fiat currency to having any hard assets such as gold to back it, the ability to print money became the solution to everybody's problem. We can just print money into existence and therefore you can afford and have anything you want. And if we can, you know, write it off as a loss and just walk away from it, whether it's the banks themselves or the individuals or the corporations, Mm -hmm. then, you know, we'll just keep pushing that, that nut down the road, so to speak, which is, you know, kind of where we are today with the massive debt in the world. Yep. And, uh, and so I, I think then consumerism begins to paint that picture. TV begins to paint that picture. The commercials, it's like, have it mm-hmm. now. And, uh, you know, I wrote a book a few years ago. And one of the pieces that I put in there was, was aligning the, your future life to the debt decisions you make. And to begin yeah. looking at how many hours of my life am I going to have to give up in order to pay for this car? Yeah, Absolutely. Right? Because that's what it that's what it translates into. I have this job. Maybe I don't love my job. I'm going to go to this job. I get paid X amount of dollars an hour and I just signed up for a $20,000 automobile. Sit back and figure out the amount of hours you need to put in at your job in order to pay that back and what that's going to take away from you in terms of the other things that you want to do in your life. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's that's really what it is. If we had to... If we'd gotten rid of credit for the most part, like if we went back to the to the days where credit didn't exist, and I'm not saying we should, I'm not like <laughs> old man shakes fist at clap. Um, you know, I'm I'm not doing that. You're but not yelling went, at the jungle here. Right. But if if we if we had to actually come up with the money before we bought it, I think that would be you'd see far more of that. It. It's like I have to work for 10 years to be able to, to buy this thing. I'm not going to buy a disposable version, right? Or, or maybe I don't need it. Maybe I don't need that thing. Um, but what we do instead now is, well, I can get this thing now. And then three years into it, we're like, I've got to pay for this for seven more years at this crappy job. And, and then for some reason, it's not fair. Mm-hmm. Or right. you so rather, than, yep, yep. Yeah. Rather than it being a poor decision, um, or rather than it being like we just didn't see the cost, right? And you know that's that's the trap. And I think that that has. I think it goes a little bit before Reagan in the eighties, but not a lot. It, it is because I, I studied politics and I studied finance for a while. I was, I was a financial advisor for, for some time, did a lot of uh, succession planning for business owners. Um, and it, the baby boom generation, it's not necessarily their fault. Um, it's the people who realized that that's where the money is. Mm-hmm. Because as they went through, you can watch the wave. If you look back in history, you can watch the wave of things being marketed because they went, here's, here's the, this giant generation that has money that can buy things. And 
inflation happening again, decoupling of currency and, and that realization that this giant wave of, of, of people, this baby boom generation wants houses. They're going to want, well, they want, they want degrees because they've been told that the degree is the, is the way to be successful. Um, and their parents wanted them to get degrees because they had worked really hard. They had gone through a war and they looked up and they said, well, the people with degrees, those are the officers in the army. Those are the people that own companies. It's like, I want my kid to have a degree. And so all of a sudden it became really expensive. And all of a sudden, no, you had, you, well, you can just borrow money. We can, we can print it. You can borrow it. Um, inflation on houses, interest rates going through the roof because everybody wanted to borrow money. They wanted access to that money to buy those houses. And that's when debt became okay. Like prior to that, it wasn't. Right. It was get your, if you have to take out debt on a house, that's pretty much the only thing that it was okay to take out debt on. And you need to pay that off as soon as possible because they had learned in the 30s, 20s, and 30s that as soon as money gets tight, the bank is coming for your house. And today it's, today it's like, you know what? You live in your house. Your kids live in your house. It's a multi generational purchase. It should be multi generational payments. Let's have a 40 or 50 year mortgage. Right. And that's, you know, not right or wrong. It's not, no. this isn't a question of that it's, it's more looking no. at, and then it's, it's easy for people uh, to get caught in that trap. And I don't want to mm-hmm. let, you know, I don't necessarily want to let people off the hook, but at the same time, I do want to let them off the hook. Cause it's, it's kind of become the norm. I was gonna say that's the, that's what's normal now. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So you, you know, we're almost raising our kids and ourselves to think that, oh, that's just, it's no, everybody does this. You know, how many people mm-hmm. have gone bankrupt? It's not the end of the world. Come on. People are doing it all the time, <laughs> right? It's sort of like, as you allow it in, it becomes less and less of uh, a challenge. Well, this has mm-hmm. become a really dark conversation. So how can we, how can we throw <laughs> some light on this, Joss? <laughs> Let's- well, I, I think it's this, it's that because we've come from this place, where this is what's normal in the world. The cool thing about coaches is we're not normal. We make a career of, and sometimes it's not even making a career, it's just feeling that you have a calling to look at things in a way that's different from the way everybody else does and step out in a direction that is different from how everyone else is walking and then to call to others and help them follow this different path. So, while we're struggling with our own um, instincts or our own learned behaviors with that path, i.e., you know what, I can buy this program for $10,000 if I just put it on on my three credit cards. Um, We struggle with that ourselves, but it's, it's because we're trying to make a positive difference. And I think when you show a coach someone who has a helper's mindset, when you show them, here's how you can do it differently. If you, if you apply this knowledge in this way, you can be successful and you can help others to be successful. Um, I think that the society that we've been in or what we've taught ourselves um, or however we want to put that, I think that that loses its control, that loses its hold. And it doesn't take, but it takes about 2% of a population to commit to something and start to see results from it to create change. It doesn't necessarily happen fast, 
but it does happen, right? But those those early adopters, those people who go, hey, wait a minute, what if we went this way instead can fundamentally create change. Like one of the things a lot of people don't realize in the United States, which is where I, I grew up, it was only about 2% of the population that really dug in and said, forget these British guys. We need to be our own country. And it wasn't even our own country. It was our own countries, like the states. We, we need freedom. We need to not be. It was that 2% that adopted a different way of thinking and took action on it that led to a larger percentage doing something about it. And still, they never had a majority, I don't think, of the population, of the general population, fully on board with this whole rebellion thing. Right. Right. Um, independence. Yeah. Yeah. So we can do the same in, in the world around us. And you do it with money. Um, I do it with coaches and teaching them that it is okay to make money as a coach. It is okay to, and, and in fact, not just okay, but you're actually benefiting your clients more if you've taken care of your financial situation so that you're not sitting there with that constant worry in the back of your mind of how do I make my, my mortgage payment this month, right? Um, and so people like you and me and other coaches who understand that and understand that we don't have to reach everybody. We just have to reach the people around us that we're meant to serve and help them reach the people that they're meant to serve and help them reach the people that they're meant to serve. That's going to create that difference. Mm -hmm. Well, and you're not going to, right? I mean, first of all, not everybody's going to, you know, want to jump on your wagon. No, they shouldn't. Yeah. That's just not going to happen. You're not going to please everybody. You're not going to be the solution for everybody, no matter what it is. I mean, even, you know, with like, just look, look at software and computers. Not everybody uses the same stuff. They just don't. Uh, So you can give that up. And, and really, I like what you said, just, you know, to, to, to focus, if you focus on the, I think, you know, what I pulled from you is if we focus on the being helpful, the, Mm. the, the, who are we going to serve and serve them? uh, You know, what I get from that is joy, right? It's not, Mm. You know, yes, it's great to get paid. And and we can talk a little bit about that, about how do people price themselves and how to give up that idea of, you know, charging too little when they could charge more or, or you know, that psyche. But it's, it's great to get paid. But really, you know, for me, and I'm sure it's the same for you, the payment is in when people, you know, have stuff going on, you know, when, when they, when the stuff starts to show up in their life, when they start to get it, when they start to turn their light on, and really motor is when uh, it's when it's like, wow, I've done something. I've actually, you know, I've actually done some good in the world. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think my number one, outside of certain things that I do with my, my wife and my kids, my number one pick me up best feeling in the world is when I get off a coaching call or, or a, a meeting with a client and have seen that shift, have seen them go, Oh, here it is. I can take this action. I can get a result. Um, that there's there's nothing better than that. That the joy of that is found in service and in, and in the right kind of service, I think, um, is huge. Um, like I said, other than family stuff, that that's tops. Mm-hmm. So uh, let me ask you this: So when it comes to pricing and people <laughs> charging, 
And mm-hmm. it doesn't matter whether you're a coach or you're, you know, selling your services of some kind, whatever that looks like. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's your experience around the battleground of people's thinking about, you know, how do I charge or am I charging too much? And, you know, because I think for most people, they usually think they're overcharging, even mm-hmm. if it's like 10 bucks. Yeah. Uh, there's a few things. Um, number one, there's 12 different pricing strategies uh, and all of them are valid depending on how you're pricing your, what, who you're selling to, what you're selling and why, right? So you don't always need to use one pricing strategy. There's, there's, there's about a dozen of them. Um, but it comes down, a lot of people think there's one or two. And where that, that fear that you talk about of, of I think I'm overcharging comes from in a lot of, a lot of cases is the expert's curse. And that goes in, in two directions. Number one, the expert's curse, I feel like because I know something, everybody else knows it. And so it can't be valuable because all I'm doing is just pointing out something obvious, right? Um, so I want to unpack that for a second. So okay, the sure. curse is the idea that because I figured this out, everybody else must already know this. Mm-hmm. And so therefore... It can't be that good. It can't be that important because, you know, I figured it out and I'm just me. Well, it's not, it's, it's not necessarily that it's still good and important because oftentimes it's, and this is where a lot of people become coaches or, or what they think of as coaches because they found a solution for their own problem and it did a really great thing for them. And so they become an evangelist for that solution. Right. And that's not a coach. A lot of people think that's coaching, but it's, that's what they do. Where the disconnect comes from for charging is because they go, well, I'm just showing you the thing. It's not, I'm not valuable. The thing is valuable and I'm just pointing you towards it. Um, or you already know it. Right. And I'm just reminding you of it. So, yeah. Okay. So that's the expert's curse. That's the expert's curse. The other part of the expert's curse is, wow, this is really good and important stuff, but I don't know enough about it yet to be able to charge for it. Um, we see that in certification programs. You see that um, like with the, the Profit First people, right? When they, when they first come on board and they start getting certified and they start learning this great system that they can use to help their clients be profitable faster. And they're like, well, I, I, I can't charge for this yet or I can't charge that much for this yet because I haven't been doing this for years. Right? I'm, I'm still learning this system. It's like, well, and then that's when you need to take the opposite approach. It's, you're not charging for you. You're charging for the system. You're charging for access to the thing. And um, especially when you're dealing with uh, something like that, with just the way Profit First is set up, um, you have this entire brain trust behind you. So the, the client isn't just dealing with you. They get all of the expertise of, of everyone that works with you. But again, we're not, this isn't here to sell Profit First. Um, but things like that, right? That belief that this is a great system, but I'm not expert enough to be able to charge for. Right. So we have people that, so let me, uh, let me, let me see if I can. So there's one thing I'm selling a system, but I don't know the system well enough. So I can't really charge much for it because I'm not an expert in that system. Mm -hmm. Then there's the Hey, I figured out something that has changed my life dramatically in how I think or how I do things or how I process things. And I'm just going to show you how to do that. But it's not like any big deal because I figured it out. 
and you could have figured it out. I, I assume you figured it out too. So yeah. therefore it's not that valuable. Yeah. And, and we, we don't sometimes realize the value of just pointing somebody in the right direction. Right. And then I think with coaching then, the, so there's the pointing in the right direction. However, where the real, I believe, at least this is for me, where I believe the real value comes in is, first of all, giving somebody the space to figure it out a little bit on their own. So you're mm-hmm. not just like giving all the answers, but then having the measures for accountability that is actually going to keep the person accountable. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about that in the world of what you do. Like, Getting people to buy into accountability to, you know, like, because there's some things that will obviously work for some Mm -hmm. people and there's some things that just won't work. Like for, and I'll give you an example. So for me, uh, gamifying something Mm -hmm. uh, can work, Mm -hmm. right? Where it's like, I get, you know, it's crazy, but like I go to insight timer every day to do my meditation because I get my little badge. Mm-hmm. Right. And then my I, wife's and those, the same way. And those badges accumulate and then I get the bigger badge. And it's mm-hmm. like, it's become a little game for me. I don't want to lose my badges. So I'm going to keep playing. Mm-hmm. However, money has not been that for me. Okay. If somebody puts money in front of me to do something, eh, that's, that doesn't, that, you know, it's money. Mm-hmm. I mean, they print it every day. I know where it comes from. I know how it works. I don't, you know, it's not a lure for me, but you know, mm-hmm. something that's gratifying internally where I, I did this that's gratifying for me. So talk a little bit about how maybe you would determine that for somebody or what you've come across in, in helping people to be accountable. Okay, cool. So really accountability comes down to motivation, right? What is it that motivates us? And, and there's, there's the belief that there's only two types of motivation, right? There's, there's away from negative or towards positive and that 90 ish percent of us, are primarily motivated away from negative. We don't like pain, so we move away from pain. And that only five to 10% of us are motivated towards positive, consistently motivated towards positive. Um, And that would be regardless of pain. Regardless of pain, yeah. Because the positive might have some pain in it, but you're okay with it. Absolutely. So um, we're in Canada, so let's talk hockey. Um, The people who who win a Stanley cup, they don't get there because they're motivated away from pain because you don't completely change how you live your life. Be at the gym, working out twice a day, do skating like crazy, working to have blisters on your hands to learn how to, to shoot a puck, um, eat food that is bland and boring but gives your body the strength that it needs to, to do these things, um, travel the way that they travel, spend as much time away from their family. They don't do that because they're moving away from pain because all of that's pain to a certain extent. They do it because that motivation to hoist that cup above their head, to be on that winning team, to accomplish that challenge, that motivates them. Um, but some of those people still need someone else to hold them accountable. That's why they have coaches on those teams, right? Um, so the challenge with being pain motivated, like away from pain, 
is that we'll only move off the nail and then we'll stop. And off the nail is from the, the, the story about the two men are sitting on a porch and the dog starts howling. One of them's got a dog and he starts just howling and howling. And the one guy says to the guy who owns a dog, like, what's wrong with the dog? And he's like, I think he's sitting on a nail. And, and the first guy's like, well, why don't you just get up and move? He's like, I guess it doesn't hurt that bad. Right. And the way a lot of us have existed is that we, we sit on the nail and it hurts and we complain and we gripe about it. I don't like my job that much, for example. Um, but we won't move off of it until it, it hurts enough or the better thing that doesn't hurt is put in front of us in a way that's so easy or seems so easy that we can just make, make the jump and we, and we get it. Um, so how does that, how does that relate to accountability? The accountable, the accountable person understands they've made a commitment to something or that they, that, that the goal that they're moving towards, whether it's a commitment to somebody else or whether it's a commitment to themselves requires them to get up, requires them to move, requires them to show up and do the thing. That doesn't mean we enjoy doing it. And not everyone has, for whatever reason, found themselves in a position where the self-discipline is there to just get up and do the thing, even though it sucks mm. or it sucks in the short term. Um, and I'm not, I have speculations about where that comes from and why. Um, and I think it's related to some of the stuff we talked about earlier, but I don't have a hard, uh, hardcore theories or, or evidence at this point. But the point is it is useful to have someone else who can say, this doesn't suck that bad compared to the thing that you want to get away from. Or this might suck, but look at what it's going to get you. Or yeah, you're in the middle of the suck right now. And that <laughs> sucks. <laughs> Remember, don't stay there. Um, you know, when you go to you know the, the famous, you know, yay though I, the, I forget who the quote is from, but it's, it, it relates to the yay though I, I walked the valley of the shadow of death. I feel like it was Churchill, but that's because I live in Canada and, and Canada like Britain, any, any quote that you don't know who it is, always just say it was Churchill. Uh, in the States, it's always say it was Mark Twain. Um, but the quote is, when you find yourself in the valley of death, keep walking. Right. Don't, don't, don't set up a tent and stay right. there. Um, and having somebody to remind you of that, that, yeah, you're in, you're in the crap Valley. Keep walking. Yeah. Um, I think that's sort of the, the position of, of the coach in providing accountability. And for me, when I talk with somebody, I, I find out fairly quickly, are you a person who needs a firm hand to go? Yeah, dude, this sucks. And you don't want to suck. Keep going. Or are you the person that needs the look how far you've come type of positive support? Um, it, look, at, look at the suck behind you 
and look at the great thing that you're moving towards, right? Whatever, however that might be. Um, and some people just need to, they don't want to know about the suck. They, they just want to, they just want somebody to, to actually shield them from the suck and say, you're on the right path. Let's keep going. Don't worry about what's to either side of you. Don't worry about what's behind you. Just, let's just take the next step. Let's just take the next step. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know if that answered your question at all. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's good. It's good. And I think there's, you know, the, uh, maybe the deeper pieces for accountability. What do you, do you have like one thing that works better than others for most people or it, does it really come down to each individual? That's a good question. Like pretend you're on a podcast Okay. And mm-hmm. you were going to give like this, you know, one highlight of, you know, how, how the majority of people could hold themselves accountable or what they mm-hmm. could focus on to be accountable. You know, what would that advice look like? Like, what would you say is here's a, here's a place to look first or a place to start. I know I'm springing this on you, but that's, no, it's, it's that's okay. I, it's okay. Um, I'm, I'm, because there's there's a couple of ways to go, and I, I don't want to go too far. I feel like I'm going to have to put some context around it. I don't want to go too far afield. So the best way to hold yourself accountable, and and I think part of this is is I have this same challenge. Like I, in my own working with myself, I, I had this conversation with myself just recently about how is it that I can motivate myself using positive motivators rather than waiting until things in a certain situation get so bad that it's like, Oh crap, I've got to, I have to do something because when you do that with, so for me, how I'm, and I don't know if I'm different or not, but for me, I I'm good at deadlines. Deadlines help me move ahead. And the best way, and maybe this is this is the answer we're looking for, the best deadlines that work for me are deadlines that come from other people or, or when I make a commitment to someone else. I say, I'm going to be on your podcast on this date. I'm going to make darn sure that everything that I need to do in order to show up for you is done before this date. Because if I don't, I'm letting you down. I'm going to look like a, a doofus. Um, and it's going to suck for everyone involved, or it's at least not going to be as good as it could be for everyone involved. And I I want to speak to that for a moment because for those that can't see the screen, I just want you to know that (laughs) Goss is on location somewhere camping and he still managed to get himself set up with a tent and a microphone (laughs) in order to do this show today. Uh, The joys of logistics. Um, (laughs) But yeah, but that's, that's the thing. So it's that, it's that deadline. So if you're going to say, if there's one thing that is going to help someone be more accountable and accomplish what they need to accomplish, it is commit to somebody else, somebody else that will hold them accountable. Um, Like if I didn't show up here today for this podcast, you're probably not going to do a whole lot to me, but there's going to be that. Wow, man. I mean, you, you, you promised me you were going to be there and, and I, I said, it would have heard from me. Yeah, absolutely. Like, right. Like I, I first would have asked, has something happened? Yeah. Are like, you okay? 
are you okay? But it would have been like, dude, you said, and I'm yeah, waiting exactly. and you're not. Right. And what's going on? <laughs> exactly. So if you care about other humans and you care about what other humans think about you and how you show up for other humans, then committing to someone else to do a certain thing by a certain time will help you move forward. Hmm. Um, if I try to set deadlines for myself, I set the deadline, I can move it. Yeah. Right. So yeah, it's, yeah. there's, there's less effectiveness there. So that's where that extra person comes in. Um, if I wait, if I don't set a deadline and I just wait till things get so bad that I have to do something about it. Um, there's a very fine line in there where I, I can move and I can do something. But if I go past that line, then I get overwhelmed with this is so terrible now that I don't know how to fix it. Right. And, and the, the paralysis will, will, will come from that. So right. this idea of just sitting on the nail until it hurts bad enough for me is counterproductive. Right. Um, and, and so, the suffering yeah. doesn't necessarily always work. Right. Cause no, you know, and, and the suffering can go, and I know exactly what you mean. And the suffering can end up in, I'm just going to go binge watch yep. a net, a Netflix show. Cause I can't even manage being with, with any of it. Never mind mm -hmm. that one thing, but then all of it just kind of compounds, right? You're not only, yep. you just start to see everything that you're supposed to be doing or that you said you would do or that you wanted to do or you set up for yourself to do. And you're just like, I can't manage any of it. I'm out. I'm checking yep. out. Yep. And actually, funny enough, now it's not even binge watching Netflix, although that happens. It's the video games. Because with the video game, you get the dopamine hit. With with the I'm gonna go do the meditation and get my my sticker, it's a dopamine hit. And it's not the same size dopamine hit as you would get from actually accomplishing your goals, but it's a dopamine hit. Right. Um, which is ironically, having said commit to somebody else and and get an a deadline an external deadline that way. One of the things they found is they used to teach people that one of the best ways to accomplish your goals was to tell everybody, this is my goal and, and get yourself held publicly accountable and tell everybody, this is my goal. This is my goal. This is my goal. But what they found out was when you do that, you get a dopamine. hit. <laughs> Every time you tell somebody, I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to do this thing. You get a dopamine hit. And what would wind up happening is you get these small hits of dopamine from telling people that you're going to do it and you never actually do it. So the key is don't tell the world that you're going to do it tell one person, commit to one person or one small group of people, I'm going to do this thing by this time and do it in a way where they're depending on you, mm -hmm. not just I'm going to do it. Like if I don't show up for this podcast today, you've got to come up with something to fill time. Well, I mean, it's not a live show, but you've, you're, you're putting out an, an episode on a, you've got a schedule. If I bail on you, you've still got to fill that schedule somehow. Right. So me show me committing to show up here means I'm going to show up here because I don't want to put you through that. Right. It's not just I'm showing up on your podcast because I'm going to show up on your podcast because I'm a good guy. This is that idea of having an accountability buddy. Yeah. And somebody that's going to hold you accountable, not, mm -hmm. you know, somebody who's going to just let you slide off the hook easily, yeah. but somebody that's actually going to, going to hold you accountable. Uh, yeah. As we move towards the end of uh, our, our show today, there's a couple things. Um, we're both in the profit first camp. Yeah. Can you, can you give me a quick overview of how profit first helped you as a business owner that then had you want to 
you know, tell people about it? Like, so what was that thing that you were like, oh my gosh, this is so incredible. I have to tell the world. That's number one. And number two, maybe just give us a little bit on your profit for coaches program, because for any coaches that are out there that are, you know, looking for something other than a sales pitch on how to market their coaching program, uh, they might want to, they might want to reach out to you. Absolutely. Okay. So cool. Short version of the profit first story. Um, I was actually in the process of shutting down. Um, I, I was in, cause everybody, every coach goes through the ups and downs, or at least most coaches go through the ups and downs. I've learned that you don't have to, but at the time I was still going through the ups and downs. And I was in the middle of the downs and I was closing out. I was cutting subscriptions, you know, in savings mode finally. Um, and I was going to cut my audible subscription. And when you do that, they say, Oh, by the way, you have, you have credits if you cancel your Audible subscription, you'll lose those credits. So you better use them. And so I was like, all right, fine, I'll use them. Um, and it had been it had been suggesting to me Profit First, the audiobook, for weeks, if not months. And I was finally like, okay, I've got this one credit left. I've bought the the books that that I wanted. I've got this one credit. I don't want to waste it. I'll get this book. So I get Profit First. And oh. and shut down my Audible. And then I'm listening to it. I'm like, oh my goodness, what is like, I just, I'm constantly going back and just listening. And A, Mike's entertaining. He, the author, Mike Michalowicz, reads his own, reads his own book. Um, he's entertaining. Uh, but B, it's like, this is just stupidly simple. And this is super important. And one of the key things that he said in there was 83% of all small businesses, yeah, I think in North America, the world, of all small businesses are paycheck to paycheck or check to check and one bad month away from being out of business. Mm-hmm. And I had been in part of a, a business networking group uh, for at that time, five or six years. And I had been on the, uh, the regional leadership team and had been doing a lot of uh, training and teaching and stuff like that. And one of the challenges that this, that this business group had was that we were constantly losing members, constantly cycling through members. And what I had said at the time because we, we were always looking, how do we how do we increase retention? And what I had said at the time was, I just ballparked. I said, you know, roughly eighty percent of the members of this organization, as independent business owners, are in survival mode, or one bad month away from being in survival mode or being out of business, and they don't want to tell anybody about that. And when they're in survival mode, they can't actually work the system to get referrals for each other and 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 people. And so I just sort of made that connection. And then I hear Mike say 83% of all small business. I'm like, oh, it's not just that group. It's all small business. And that's what made me say, I want to take and share profit first with small business. Because I had for the longest time had a very strong like I'm a business coach, right? So for, for me, coaching businesses to be successful was was what was driving me. And I'm like, oh, I can put this in my practice. It makes a difference. Suddenly we're profitable and other people need this. And mm-hmm. so that's where I started sharing it with the world. And it also so happened that Ron Saharian, who is the the um, operations guy for Profit First Professionals Worldwide, when I had called to ask, how do I implement this in my business? <clears throat> I'd had questions that, that my Profit First Professional couldn't answer. And um, had 
passed me up to Ron. Ron had answered those questions and Ron said, so I got a question for you. Why aren't you a profit first professional? And I said, well, because I'm not an accountant or a bookkeeper and I'm brand new at this, right? Experts curse again, right? I'm, I'm just learning to put this in my business. He's like, yeah, no, and we have business coaches too. And you clearly know more than the average accountant or bookkeeper or coach because you, you've asked all these questions that nobody can answer. I think you could, you could do great things with this. I'm like, okay, well, let me think about it. And I went and I talked to my, uh, she's my wife now. She's my fiance then, or no, she wasn't my fiance yet. She was my girlfriend. Um, talked to her about it and, and my practice. And that was when she pointed out that I had had that realization with this business networking group and that this could give me a thing to solve that problem. So mm-hmm. I took that and that's when I ran with it. So that's how I started with Profit right. First. Right. And, um, and I just want to point out that in order to be a Profit First professional, you actually have to implemented on your business first. Yes, like absolutely. You're, you're and the first you're the first guinea pig so to speak uh, yep. in your profit first certification and mm-hmm. and they hold you to to do that like you when you're working with your profit first person coach at profit first your first thing you're doing is your own business. Absolutely. You have to show them your bank accounts and how you have that set up and all other fun stuff. And here's the thing that uh, most people don't don't realize. In the fine print of your profit first professional's contract, if you declare bankruptcy, they can yank your certification mm. because you're obviously not following the steps and, and you don't have it implemented in your system, in, in your business. Right. So um, anyway, so, so that led to profit for coaches because um, I work prim- primary businesses that I worked with were service providers, service professionals. And I always worked with coaches but I never held out a flag that said, I work with coaches because I hate the coaching industry. I think the, the coaching industry, I think should be called the prey on coaches industry because that's what they do. And I didn't want to get any of that ickiness on me. I didn't want anybody to think that, that I was one of those types of people. Right. So I was just quietly working with coaches. And what I found was that the Profit First program works great out of the box, but it needed some tweaking for coaches because our business model is, is pretty unique. We have some ups and downs that other other industries don't have. We get paid in ways that other, other industries uh, don't get paid. We run our money through in other ways that other industries don't. And we can run very, very lean as coaches. We don't need a lot of overhead. We can be in a tent. <laughs> right. um, Nicely done. <laughs> thanks. Uh, we, this, yeah, this is the tent. My other office is in my, my six... Uh, Six bedroom house. But anyway, um, I don't know why that was important. The point is, we don't need a lot of money to be a, to be a lot of overhead to be a successful coach, although we get, we get told that sometimes. So I, I found that if I tweaked it, I looked at how I had implemented it in my coaching practice and how I had been in, implementing it in my, the practice of my clients who are coaches. And I also have some other tools that I use. Um, specifically to help my clients. So what I did is I I put together a system that takes a coach who wants to actually, you have to legitimately want to work with clients. You have to be okay with the idea of having a solid six-figure income that is consistent. And you have to want to make a difference for your clients and for your family and for your community. But if you're that kind of person, and you don't want to be grinding 60, 80, 100 hours a week, you'd be okay with 30 to 40 hours a week to be keeping quarter million dollars a year to make a difference in clients' lives. If that's where you fit, 
then I will take you through from exactly how to identify your ideal clients, how to set up a marketing system and, and a sales system that doesn't feel like marketing and selling and takes you maybe an hour a day. How to manage your finances, your cash flow, the, put the profit first system in place in your practice. How to put the delivery systems in place so that you can actually deliver transformation to your clients without going crazy trying to manage your schedule and all other fun stuff. And how to keep your practice and your life focused on making the impact that you want to make. And we'll put that system, that series of systems in place. And it works specifically for coaches. And I had put a lot of this together and I was talking with a mentor of mine and he's like, Joss, why don't you just put your flag out and say you work with coaches? He's like, well, because I the ickiness, the, the coaching industry. He's, he's like, yeah, the fact that you hate the coaching industry is why you should be doing it this way. You, you need to stand up and say, this is who you are. So um, it took some pushing because every coach needs a coach, right? Um, but eventually I finally smartened up and said, okay, and created the Profit for Coaches brand and the Profit for Coaches podcast. And that's who I talk to is coaches that want to make a difference, that want to actually coach clients and that want to have a lifestyle that is a good lifestyle. You don't have to be making millions, seven, eight, nine figures to have a good lifestyle, support your family, enjoy your life and make a difference in the lives of the people that you're meant to serve. So yeah, that's what I, that's what I do. Awesome. Thank you for that. And on that note, how do people get a hold of you? Uh, easiest way, go to profitforcoaches.com. You can spell it with the letters or you can spell it with the number. I don't care, but profitforcoaches.com. Um, you can find my podcast there. Uh, you can learn more about how to work with me there. Um, you can email me, joss at profitforcoaches.com. Uh, you can find me on Instagram. I think it's at joss underscore Willard. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. Just look at Joss Willard. Um, those are probably the best ways to get a hold of me. I'm on Facebook every now and again, but I, I try to stay, I try to minimize my interactions on that platform just because right now it's, it's crazy town. Um, and I have too many friends with too many different viewpoints to, to want to invest the time to get that shouting at me. Um, but, but I'm there. So, um, but the best places are Instagram, LinkedIn, or in particular, profitforcoaches.com. And it's, P-R-O-F-I-T, not the P-H-E-T. It's profit right. as in a profitable yes. coaching business. Yeah. We've been speaking with Joss Willard from ProfitForCoaches.com. Joss, thank you so much uh, for joining me. And before, before we go, I'm going to ask you this question. When you hear the term bloom living, what do you think of? I think of growth. I think of taking your life and making bringing forth the most beautiful part of it. Um, when plants bloom, that's what they're doing. It's the springtime, it is the growth. The, the flowers are not necessarily the, the sturdiest part of the plant, but the rest of the plant has to be there and has to be solid for the flowers to, to happen. And I think blooming your life, blooming living, that's it's living life in the most beautiful fashion and doing that by having put the foundation under you to allow that to happen. That's the new ad right there for the show. <laughs> awesome. Joss, thanks so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. 
Thanks for having me, Thomas. It has been a blast. I've, I've enjoyed the conversation so much. And thanks so much to you for joining in and listening to today's show. This is the Bloom Living Podcast. We hope you have yourself an amazing day. We look forward to having you join in again or maybe go back and listen to some of our previous episodes. And if you're so inclined, give us a shout out, give us a thumbs up, share it on social media. We'd really appreciate that. All the best. Stay blessed. Namaste. Namaste.